kind of hot in here. <laughs> Jumping up and down about the joy of the Lord. This is that shirt, Mike, that I was uh, pointing out to you. <laughs> Had to dress up because I got a baby dedication, so. <laughs> In 1983, uh, there was a movie that came out about the history of NASA, and uh, it was called The Right Stuff. And the story was not just a uh, history of NASA, but also the astronauts who were part of the original team. Fifteen years later, there was another movie that came out. It was called Armageddon, and uh, it was a fiction movie, uh, an action movie starring Bruce Willis, and it was about this meteor that was on its way to crash onto Earth. And so the plan that was concocted was uh, to send a team of oil drillers up to the meteor to drill into the meteor to uh, put an atomic bomb to explode the meteor. And uh, as I say, it was a fiction movie. And one of the scenes, you may remember one of the scenes, and it was, it was in slow motion, and it's Bruce Willis and, and his team of drillers that are walking into the, the NASA facility, and the training instructor looked at them and said, talk about the wrong stuff. <laughs> Last week we closed out, or two weeks ago, we closed out Matthew chapter 9, and Jesus is talking about the harvest. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send the workers. And many of you, when we hear a message like that and read a passage like that, we begin to think, well, where am I, where am I on that list? Where, what is my job? Where do I need to serve? And it's at that point, often, when the devil comes in and, and he starts to plant seeds in your head. Things like, well, you can't do that. Or, you know, you could never do whatever like he does or like she does. For some, it may be, well, you know, you're just not qualified because you know all of the things in your past. For some, it may be, well, what are people going to think of you that you're just some super spiritual person if you start getting involved in church? But as we continue in Matthew chapter 10 today, I believe it's really strategic because this very next passage, Jesus is actually sending out his first workers into the harvest field. And it's quite a list. Um, now, don't be fooled into thinking that anyone isn't valuable to the kingdom of God. And to validate the point, I want to take this passage and over the next several weeks and take a closer look at Jesus' apostles. Uh, the disciples uh, is, is a... Is, is a an interchangeable term, disciples, apostles. Um, the overarching uh, description of uh, the word disciple actually covers literally thousands of people that followed Jesus all along in his ministry. 
We sometimes think of the 12 disciples, which isn't wrong, depends on the context, and the the translation or the, the reference sometimes refers to them, like we'll see today in Matthew chapter 10. He calls them apostles, which means sent ones. But we're going to take advantage of this this little scripture here to to look deeply at each of Jesus' apostles, because as you run down this list, you really don't see the cream of the crop. Um, You don't have anyone that you may expect to be given the mission that Jesus gave them. You don't have any rabbis here. You have no Pharisees. You have no teachers of the law, no one of social status, no one of royal lineage. You have fishermen, unschooled fishermen at one point, it says in the book of Acts. You have an outcast tax collector. You have a terrorist in this group. And you have several obscure men that we really don't have a whole lot of scriptural reference or detail, and yet they literally changed the world. Now, a central key to any organization is leadership, and one of the things that I searched for in preparing this message was different characteristics or, or um, quotes, keys to the importance of leadership, and I was challenged as I was doing that because that's what we always think about, right? You know, if only that person could come to know the Lord, what could they do for the kingdom of God? Or, you know, if if I only had that type of skill set, then, boy, wouldn't I be valuable to the kingdom. And yet, we don't see that in this group. We don't see those characteristics in this group. Um, I wonder if the Lord might twist that statement and say, gosh, you know, if Steve could only see what I've given him already. Or, you know, Steve, I've already given you everything you need. Just follow me and obey me and see what I can do instead of looking out at what I don't have, right? There's no better proof than looking at his disciples. Here in Matthew chapter 10, let's look at it, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, this is one of three passages, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6, Mark chapter 3, where we have the list of the 12. John does not list all 12. The book of Acts does after Judas when they added the new 12th uh, disciple. But uh, up to this point, Jesus has been essentially um, ministering on his own. Hundreds, if not thousands of people are following him, but the time has come in his ministry where he begins to focus 
more narrowly and pour into just a few men who would then take the ministry after he ascends to heaven. Just a quick side note, uh, if we look at Luke chapter 6, I want to point out just a couple of things uh, just uh, before we get started. Uh, Notice in verse 12, it says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. So you see that interchangeable. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. First thing I would point out in this is that last part. Judas did not start out being a traitor. He became a traitor. And we'll get to see him in in greater detail in a few weeks. But it's worth noting that there was a choice made. And as we look at his life, I believe we'll be able to put our finger on some things that ultimately led to that choice. But it's also important to, to see Jesus chose Judas and he became a traitor. Another thing that I don't want to overlook here in verse 12 is Jesus understood the importance of prayer and the power that it gave him throughout his life. Often we read about Jesus taking the time, setting himself apart, going to a private place to pray. His disciples recognized the power. So it's after he set aside time for prayer, uh, for example, that he calmed, that he comes out walking on the water. He sets time aside to pray and, and miracles happen. Decisions that have to be made follow a time of setting apart. We've talked about this at, in detail on Wednesday nights of late, and I want to encourage you, if you've not yet made Wednesday night prayer meeting part of your weekly schedule, um, you need to do that. There's something that comes when we choose to set time apart As that song says, I will make room for you. For some of you, you've not made room outside of Sunday morning for him. And um, such a critical thing to the life of a believer, the strength and maturity of of your walk with the Lord is, is setting times apart to make room For Jesus, the disciples understood this. That's why they asked in Luke chapter 11 to teach them to what? Pray. They could have asked him anything. Teach us to deliver people from demons. Teach us to heal people. Teach us to walk on water. But the recognition, I believe, is that all of those things came from Jesus' prayer life. If we want power in our lives and blessing in what we do for him grace and favor, understanding of what to do, we have to set aside time 
to be in his presence, seeking his face. Now, as I said, up to this point, Jesus has been ministering on his own, essentially. He has the disciples that are gathered around. He's been preaching and teaching throughout the regions. And he has a a following, not unlike today. I mean, it's easy to YouTube and follow people, right, that are that are uh, um, dynamic speakers or have a, a ministry. Back in the day, it used to be cassette tapes. I've got a cassette tape library of my dad's sermons and the iPod Touch. But uh, back in this day, they didn't have cassette. They had eight tracks probably at this time. And so, <laughs> put that on vinyl. They're going to put that on vinyl. Um, Jesus understood that he wouldn't be with them much longer. And so he needed to choose those who would carry the message and the ministry beyond his earthly ministry. These, were, these men became world changers. But it, that isn't until the book of Acts. Uh, now, these men throughout the Gospels, we see a totally different set of men. And frankly, it's very easy to say they had the wrong stuff. So today, let's look at what they didn't have. First of all, they didn't have spiritual understanding. You know, one of the first things that you might say as you, as you begin your walk with the Lord or, or a renewed walk with the Lord, hey, you know, I'm, 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 I'm new to this. I don't know what to do. You know, the truth is I really don't know that much about God. I don't know much about the Bible. What kind of value can I be? That's great. You fit right in. You fit right in with these guys throughout the Bible. What so many times Jesus had to say to them, what? Don't you understand? And he'd be telling the parable and he'd be telling the story, be teaching, and then he'd be done and they'd come up next to him and be like, hey, can you explain that to me? (laughs) You see that in Luke chapter 9 and verse 45, they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they didn't grasp it. And look at this, how sad. They were afraid to ask him. Tom Clancy in one of his Jack Ryan novels says, the only dumb question is the one that doesn't get asked. Don't be afraid to ask the question. How else are you going to grow? We have another example of their lack of spiritual understanding in Luke chapter 9. This is on the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus' glory bursting out. And then Moses and Elijah show up in real life. And Peter's like, hey, it's awesome that we're here. I'm going to build you a tent, one for each of you, so you have a place to stay. And then it says he didn't even know what he was saying. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus finally just says, are you, are you that dull? Really? Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. They did not have spiritual understanding, but they did have Jesus. And what did he do? He patiently taught them lesson by lesson, parable by parable, miracle by miracle, interaction by interaction. Aren't you glad he's patient? I am. They didn't have humility. Constant jockeying for position, right? Arguing over who's going to be greater. If you have children, you understand this very, very well. 
I remember one time Michael and, and Lauren were, Lauren had to have been about three because she was talking. She didn't start talking until she was about three. She spoke in her, she had a prayer language before she had anything else. We had to <laughs> interpret. One of us had to have the gift of interpretation at all times around Lauren. We're in the car and Michael must have been seven or eight. She'd have been three or four. And, and uh, she says, well, there's a red car. And Michael says, no, that's maroon. <laughs> no, it's red. No, it's maroon. And, the, you know, you can just hear it just, ugh. I finally said, Michael, do you know what color that car that is? Yeah. Can't you just take pride in knowing that you're right? <laughs> and Sandy looked at me and said, is that how you think? <laughs> busted. Ah, why don't you fight with your wife? Well, because I don't have to, because I know I'm right all the time. I don't, I, I'm just pleasing myself. I'm just satisfied with my own smarts, right? <laughs> An argument started among them, Luke chapter 9. Which one would be the greatest? Isn't that just the funniest thing? Can you imagine sitting in on that? And you know, Jesus heard if he could hear what they're thinking, then he can certainly hear what they're saying. He's like, oh, my Lord. Gee, God, Father, why did you give me these guys? <laughs> In Mark chapter 10, Jesus has just predicted his death for the third time, which they still hadn't got. Third time was not the charm. And then James and John come up to him and say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That is like the ultimate boldness. And they weren't even full of the Spirit yet. That's just pride. That's not boldness. That's pride. And he's like, okay, well, what do you want? We want you to let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Now, James is the older, and so that was probably him saying, I'll be at the right, and him on the left and Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized? Here's another one of those references. Or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. We can. Don't even have to think about it. Of course. Look at us. And so he says, you will. I find it interesting at the end here, it says, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Why? Because they got there first. Duh! I was going to ask that question. And then to top it all off, at the Last Supper, Jesus is about to be arrested in just a few hours. He's going to be dead in about 18 hours or less. He knows this. And what are the disciples arguing about? A dispute arose among them as to which would be they they argued about this until he died that you know we only have a couple of references you know they did it all the time they didn't have humility but they did have jesus and what did jesus do well just a few moments later we have a reference of that in john chapter 13 he got up most likely right in the middle of this conversation. He gets up. He doesn't say anything. 
But he wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to wash their feet. It's awesome. Ultimate humility. They didn't have it. He did. They didn't have great faith. What is it that Jesus is always saying? Oh, you of little faith. We saw it in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is in the boat asleep. The storm comes. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replies, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? How much faith does it take? Jesus said the size of a mustard seed. The smallest seed available is all it takes. And they didn't have it. And so if you look at your life and say, you know, I just don't, I, I think I've got enough faith to trust God today for my, I, I'm, I'm, I, I said yes. I was baptized. Maybe that was a weak moment. I don't know. I just don't have it. If that's where you are, sweet. You're right where you need to be. You just don't stay there. So they didn't have great faith, but they did have Jesus, and he continued to work with them. He continued to teach them, building their faith moment by moment, parable by parable, miracle by miracle. Aren't you glad he's still showing up in your life? Well, they didn't have a great commitment either. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. And everybody else took off. You ever know anybody like that? Oh, I'll be there. You can count me in. And when the moving van gets there, they're nowhere to be found. Maybe you've done that yourself. You know, one of the reasons that we, we ask people to serve and we ask leaders to serve is it helps us to know who we can count on. I mean, that, that some, sometimes it's just as, as logical as that. Imagine this episode on that last night in Luke chapter 22, and, and Peter said, Lord, I am, I am ready to go with you, even if it means prison, or even if I have to give my life. And then just a few short hours later, this same man calling down curses and swearing, I don't even know who you're talking about. They didn't have the commitment that it took, but they did have Jesus. And just a few moments after Peter made that first declaration, Jesus says, I have prayed for you so that your faith may not fail. And the truth is this, he's still praying for us today. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. So often we feel like, oh, the attack, the spiritual attack, the devil's just out 
to get me. And we give zero consideration to the battle for you that is being fought in the heavenlies. Oh, if we could only just shift our focus and praise God. God, thank you for what you're doing for me. I can't do it on my own, but I have you. Aren't you glad he's still praying for you? They did not have great power. The disciples were with Jesus all the time. A worship team can come. They saw all that he did. They, they were witnesses to the miraculous feeding. They were witnesses to the walking on water. They were witnesses to the calming of the storm. I mean, that one alone is just is, is amazing to think about because if you drop a, a pebble in that water, it will do this for a period of time, right? But when Jesus said, peace, it stopped. There was no ripple. It was still. That's amazing. And yet we have in Matthew chapter 17 this example of this father who says, I brought him to your disciples. And oh, by the way, this is seven chapters. This would be months after chapter 10 when Jesus said, I give you authority to deliver from demons and heal all types of sickness, and yet they couldn't do it. It's a total dad statement here. Bring the boy to me. Come with me. They didn't have the faith, and they didn't have the power, but they did have Jesus. And what did Jesus do with these men? He filled them with his Holy Spirit. You see, that's, that's the crossroads that came in Acts chapter 2. Because up to that point, there was no boldness. There was no commitment. There was no faith. There was no understanding. It was hidden from them, it says, right? They didn't have the power, but look at Jesus' last words in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Okay, I'm sending you out to what? Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything, and I am with you to the end of the age. But don't go yet. Because you can't do it without this. What's this? It is the fullness. It is the power. It is the second work, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You see, all of us have, if you're a believer, the pilot light has been lit. You have the Holy Spirit. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? But you cannot read the Bible in context 
and come to any other conclusion but that there is something different because it references being baptized in the Holy Spirit. If the, if the key to salvation is belief, then these men were believers. More than you and I because they saw it firsthand. Before death and after resurrection. And they saw him ascend to heaven. And they heard the command. Don't go on this mission until you have been clothed with power. There is another power source that's already lit inside you. And we believe that this is for today, not just for yesterday. It's not even, it's not even logical or rational to, to think, okay, the Holy Spirit, here, here's, here's what the cessationist thought process is. The Holy Spirit was only necessary to launch the church in the first century. And here's where that argument breaks down. Because the devil is still alive and active in this world. And if they needed the Holy Spirit, I certainly need the Holy Spirit. Do you think that the devil's like, oh, the church has already started. It's already been 100 years. I guess I'll just wait for the rapture. No, that, that doesn't even make sense. No, he's pulling out all the stops until it's done. And as we saw in 2 Peter a couple of weeks ago, the importance is eternal because this world's coming to an end. At some point, God's going to take his hand off this thing and it's done and everything will be consumed by fire. There's an eternal reason. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says that you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is for us today. It's a promise. It is for every believer. And there is a, there's a critical component I've, outside of salvation. A critical component is seeking. Is, is seeking that. And as we set times aside to remain, to plug in. I talked about this last Wednesday night in Exodus chapter 33 as Moses sets up the first tent of meeting. And it says he set up this tent outside the camp. And anyone who wanted to go would go. And then it says that everyone knew when Moses went, they all came out and stood at the entrance of their tent. So the implication is like, okay, Everyone who wants to go be in the presence of God goes. 
But everyone knew that Moses was going, and they all stayed home. They stood. They watched. Moses, go have an experience with God. And it says that when he met with God in the tent of meeting, God talked to him like a friend. Isn't that a cool word picture? Wouldn't you love it if God would talk to you like a friend? He does. How do you know? We have to know your friend in order to know that they're talking to you like a friend. And so you can watch other people have an experience with God. You can watch other people grow in leaps and bounds in their relationship with the Lord. In John chapter 15, eight times, just in, in, in the verses four to eight, the word remain, remain in me, remain in me, I in you. You're connected. Remain. Seven times in that passage, it says, bear fruit. How do you know what fruit to bear? Because they're both commands. We have to fulfill command number one, remain, in order to fulfill command number two, which is bear fruit. You won't know what fruit to bear unless you've been connected to the vine, speaking. The reason I'm taking time with this is because I have time, for one. And second, <laughs> is because I believe that the Lord is calling this body to a... Uh, Eric talked about a plateau season. You know, sometimes that has a negative connotation that you're just kind of plateaued. Well... The positive is you don't go backwards. And spiritually, you never stop grow you're not supposed to stop growing spiritually. And, and the truth is, if you stop growing spiritually, you don't plateau. You regress. And my encouragement to you, and I can't make you do anything, my encouragement to you is to walk on this journey with us. See what God wants to do in your life. Don't be satisfied watching what God does in somebody else's life. I mean, it's encouraging, Jake. I've known Jake Shabel since he was in high school. I've known you since 2010, probably. And, um, and it has been a joy to watch him grow and develop and become a, a man of God, a husband of God, a father of God. Leading students. Wow, what a heartache it would be if, 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 all I, if it was just a spectator sport. Can you imagine if I was just in relationship with Jake and I just got to watch him grow spiritually and I was just satisfied with that? Many of you wouldn't know the Lord if, if not for Sandy and I stepping out in faith and starting this church. 
Don't, don't be satisfied with watching from, your, from the entrance of your tent while somebody else has an experience with God. And I'll give you another one. Don't be satisfied just hearing what somebody else has, has discovered from being in God's Word as a substitute for you being in God's Word and God speaking to your heart. Because devotionals are awesome. They really are. Sermons are terrific. We love, I love sermons. I'm a sermon junkie. But can you imagine if I spent my spiritual life attached to somebody else's word from the Lord and I wasn't getting a word from him myself? I would, I would submit to you getting a word directly from the Lord is way more important than getting somebody else's word from the Lord. But again, that takes choice. You choose to make room for the Lord. You choose to make room in your schedule. And we are committed to, to walking this path. Specifically on Wednesday nights, we're referring to that as our tent outside the camp. And everyone's welcome. Anyone who wants to be a part of it, is here. But not everybody is. And it's not for lack of telling you. So here's the 12. These are the men that God chose to reveal himself to. It's the land of misfit toys. This is, one, it's just, this is, this is Mill City Church. I mean, look around you. You got everybody here. It's the most beautiful Charlie in the boxes. It's the train with the square. I mean, what a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful picture of what God has brought together. What kind of people does God use? We're going to get a chance to see that. It doesn't matter what you have. What matters is that you have Jesus walking this path with you. These men were all missing some pretty important things. Look at it. Spiritual understanding, humility, faith, commitment, power. Which one of those do we not connect with every single day? And we feel like we fall short. They didn't have these things, but they did have Jesus, and he knew what they did have. And so as we close today, I want to just give you three things. First, when Jesus calls you, he takes you where you are. You don't get cleaned up to come to Jesus. You don't just supernaturally, on day one of salvation, become this biblical concordance. If not for Google, I would look like an idiot up here most of the time. I can remember phrases, but I impress you with my back office searches. It doesn't matter what you can or can't do. It doesn't matter what you do or don't have. It doesn't matter what your weaknesses are. Jesus starts where you are with who you are. What your past is, your deficiencies, your weaknesses, or what you think your weaknesses, past, 
and deficiencies are, they don't disqualify you. In fact, God wants to use those very things for his glory. Don't let the devil steal your future. Second, when we give what we have to Jesus, he can turn it into something amazing. We're called to do two things, remain and bear fruit. And Jesus takes us where we are, as who we are, but he doesn't leave us there. It's important to also know that. It's it's a twist that our culture likes to, to, you know, God knows who you are. Yeah, I know. He knows who you are. That's why he died for you. But he doesn't want to leave you broken and sinful. That's why he died for you was that you could be more than the one that desperately needs him before he comes into your life. Christianity welcomes all people to be changed. But he's given each and every one of us gifts and talents and he wants to use them. So what matters is what you can do, not what you can't and then investing those gifts and talents in a way that God can use them. And the greater your weakness, the greater glory God gets. And then you invest those gifts and talents, the results are miraculous. Just ask the boy with five loaves and two fish. There was once a, a renowned violinist. He scheduled a concert to play on this classic, nearly priceless violin, after a couple of songs, he took the violin side stage and smashed it. And the audience was just stunned by this. And then he went backstage and came out with the actual priceless violin and continued the concert. You see, the one he smashed was an old, rickety practice violin. So it wasn't the instrument. It was the musician that was playing. You may think you're just an old, worn-out practice violin in the hands of the Father. Your life can be amazing. Finally, I just throw this out here for, for those of us. You know, the, the w- wonderful thing about the Sea of Galilee versus the Dead Sea is the Sea of Galilee has an inlet and an outlet. The Dead Sea has no outlet. And so um, my, my brother-in-law, Phil Brown, many years ago, well before this church started, he said something in conversation. You know, so, so many people go to church looking for what they get out of it instead of what they can put into it. And some of the most unhappy Christians go about their church walk looking at all of the things that they wish were different instead of realizing that God has planted them for a reason. 
There are four letters that every believer should have packed in their mind when they have relationships with others. Specifically talking about discipleship. I see in you. Do you have someone in your life that you're leading? Do you have someone in your life that you say these letters to? I see in you, Mark, Thor of yesteryear. I see in you, Josh, a powerful leader. An example, Josh and Heather, of a godly marriage and parents who love the Lord and serve the Lord and are committed to the next generation. I see in you, Devin, somebody who's not afraid to say, I love the Lord and I know a place where you can find him. I'll meet you there on Sunday. My daughter is now married to one of those guys. I see in you, Heather, someone who has a tender heart, who wants the very best for everyone around them. It's like pouring life on somebody. It's the Sea of Galilee. Heavenly Father, God, as we go down this journey that you're taking us on, so many different paths that I'm super excited about, just high roads and exits over here and rest stops here, it's all for your glory. Even the growth that, that, that you want to, to pour into us is for your glory. God, give us blinders to the things that, that detract us. Give us blinders to the things that, that hold us back. Pour out your spirit on your people. Clothe us with power from on high. Help us to make good decisions with our life, with our calendar, with our checkbook, with our relationships. I pray. Perhaps you're here and you've never made that, that initial step to give your heart to the Lord. The Bible says that there's no one righteous, not one. And all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's what that means. Unrighteousness is sin. Everyone has it. The wages of sin, the penalty for sin is death. Not a physical death as much as a spiritual death. And we're all born into it. So the truth is we are all born into that sin nature. 
And so in Matthew chapter, or in John chapter 3, when, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And he says, what a, how, how can that be? He says, not born of the, of the water, but born of the Spirit. Not born naturally again, but spiritually born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not be dead spiritually, but would have eternal life. God did not come into this world. He did not send his son into this world to condemn you. You already stand condemned prior to that. He sent his son into this world to save the world. Paul writes in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. And everyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've never done that, man, I would, can't think of a better thing to do on a Sunday morning in November than make that decision. And I would love to pray for you. Is there anybody here today you've just never done that before? You've never prayed that prayer? One prayer away. Praise God. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your plan of salvation, that it is so simple that we can miss it. But the truth is, we can be confident in our eternity because you have set it in place. And so, God, I rejoice in salvation and redemption. May we walk out of here confident and on fire for you. In Jesus' name.